Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Well, good morning. It's still kind of morning, right? Just a little bit. Yeah? Especially on a day where you eat brunch, still morning, right? I'm uh, so glad that you're here today. Maybe today you got invited by somebody to church and uh, they, they brought you in here. And so uh, we're really happy that you came with somebody today that uh, you uh, took advantage of the invitation. And uh, I think that you're going to walk away from today uh, feeling encouraged and motivated and uh, I hope changed uh, at least a little bit. Because this day that we celebrate as Christ followers, this day that we celebrate as the church, it's, uh, it's really the most important, uh, not really, it is the most important day that, uh, to us. Um, that we remember the event, the resurrection of Jesus is, uh, is what makes us Christ followers, right? And I will say this, I'll be as bold as to say this, if the resurrection isn't true, if the resurrection didn't happen, then everything that we are doing is just silliness, it's just not worth it. There's no real reason to do it. There's no meaning in it. The resurrection gives meaning and purpose and power and transformation to everything that we believe is the church and as Christ followers. And so that's why we make a big deal out of this day. That's why we motivate people to come to church because if there's just one uh, message that we can preach, that we can share, that we can uh, live out, that we can communicate, it's the resurrection. Jesus, God's son, the son of God, defeating sin, death, and hell on the cross. And if you were driving in this way, if you've ever seen that big old cross out in front of us, there's a reason why it's out there and it's empty because Jesus isn't there. And if you go visit the tomb in, uh, in Israel that is declared to be Jesus's tomb or where he was, uh, um, uh, the tomb that he was put in, right? There's no guarantee that it's the actual one, all right? It's really not uh, probably the actual one. There's no facts about it, but it's a great example, all right? And there's a lot of things there that we don't know and we're not sure of, but here's the thing that they get right when you go visit it. When you go inside, it's empty. It's empty, and it may not be his, but that's the one thing they get right about the whole thing. It's empty because he's not there. He's alive. He's alive. And so uh, I want to motivate you today. I want to encourage you today. And I want to thank you for being here because this day is a big deal. And again, you know what? If, uh, if the resurrection isn't true, if it didn't happen, then um, I, I think uh, with good authority, I can encourage you guys, you, you know, and, and, and ladies, um, make a lot of money. Just make a lot of money and do pretty much what you want to do. Because uh, you might as well, because th it's not about this. It really becomes about you and what you want to do and your dreams and all those things. And so if the resurrection isn't true, go for it. I mean, raise your kids to be good people and things like that. And, but, but there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing the things that you want to do if the resurrection isn't true. I will be that bold and that motivated. To, 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 that, that's how confident I am. Because the resurrection has changed me. I believe it's changed everything. And I believe that the church is here 2,000 years later because the apostles preached 
Jesus and they preached Christ crucified. They preached resurrection and the church was birthed. And we are the result 2,000 years later in the 21st century. We're a result of that message being effective in, uh, um, and, and those, uh, those men and women being transformed and changed because it is true. So it's, it's, it's everything to us. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible or, or, or your tablet or your phone to the Gospel of Mark. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Mark, all right, it's right towards the, 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 it's in the second half of the Bible, the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 16. If you want to uh, log on to our Wi-Fi, our screaming Wi-Fi, it's Mark 111. There it is at the bottom. And you can get there and zoom around on, on Lumina or um, uh, one of the other Bible apps and you can open it up because you're going to want to see this for yourself. Don't just take my word for it, all right? You're going to want to see this for yourself in the Gospel of Mark chapter 16. So as a church, we've been walking through, studying, journeying through, teaching through the whole Gospel of Mark. And we started it in the fall, all right? In about August, we started teaching through the Gospel of Mark. And we have just arrived now at the climax, at the zenith of what Mark wanted to communicate. We've taken the whole year to get here, and it's pretty cool. We've arrived, and it's a privilege to arrive here because without the, the, the life and death of Jesus, without the resurrection, the life and death of Jesus, it's just a series of tragic events. It's kind of some sad events, actually. But with it, Jesus declared to be, is, is declared to be the Son of God with power, power to change and transform everything. And the disciples that he transformed go from being just lethargic guys who are somewhat depressed to amazing witnesses that bear witness to, um, to uh, the truth. And we are a result of their witness. We are a result of their witness. That's why it's so important to look at the, the scriptures, to look at the gospel of Mark, to, to discover things, to learn so we're, we are privileged people now to arrive at Mark's account of that resurrection. Mark was the first one to document the whole great story right here, the event. And he does it with profound simplicity. He does it with, I think, unbelievable restraint and um, so that we can be drawn in. He does it um, with less words than the other guys. And I think that's maybe why I like Mark. He's uh, really writes my favorite gospel because um, of the way he chooses to just kind of get with it and be fairly simple. Now, the other thing to remember, just as a way of review, just a little bit, Mark is writing this through the lens or through the experiences of Peter because Mark was just a kid. He was just a little kid when all this took place. And so, He's writing all this through the experiences of Peter, through the lens of Peter, and um, what a cool guy to do that with. You know, Peter, um, he is uh, a man's man. He's a real guy. He speaks before he thinks sometimes, or he even acts before he thinks. He does things. I mean, he makes some, some horrific mistakes, some genuine big blunders, all right? But 
God uses him. Jesus uses him. Jesus loves Peter. And you're gonna see how uh, all that kind of unfolds here just a little bit. So the Gospel of Mark chapter 16, we will um, start with, um, we're just gonna go through the first eight verses. So here we go, you ready? When the Sabbath was, was over, because everybody's there to celebrate Sabbath, okay? Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, who also goes by Mary, by the way. So there's three Marys, right? Bought aromatic spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week at sunrise, they went to the tomb. They'd been asking each other, who will roll away the stone? You know that big old fat rock that's in front of it? (laughs) Who's gonna do that for us from the entrance of the tomb? Verse four, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled back. Then as they went into the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. So I would make note of that the, that he's sitting on the right side, that's specific, all right, for a reason. It's kind of crazy. And that the guy's young, I would make note of that if you're writing anything down. <clears throat> and they were alarmed. Now, the, that, that word alarmed, I mean, it sounds like, yeah, they're startled or whatever, but it's more significant than that. They are terrified. They're beside themselves. They're stupefied. They're afraid. They, I mean, this has really shocked them, okay? So, so they're really taken back. They did not expect this, and they are like, you know how, how you can just turn white just from just, you know, all the blood drains out of your face? I mean, it's that kind of thing, all right? Verse six, but... He said to him, you know, it's because there's the guy sitting there. He says to him, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has been raised. He's not here. Look, look, there is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples, even Peter, because we know he messed it up pretty big. He was a real disappointment. He's probably sitting somewhere in a heap, just depressed. He's a mess. Even Peter, that he, Jesus, is going ahead of you into Galilee. So go tell him, even Peter, right? You'll see him there just as he told you. And then they went out and ran. I would underline ran or make Ned ran. They, they ran from the tomb. And here's how we know that they were more than alarmed. For terror and bewilderment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So they were like so terrified they couldn't even talk. It was pretty cool. All right, now, let's look at this story just a little bit. Just like I said, Mark's simple, succinct. He's factual. He gets to it. He gets with it. So the first thing I think to point out is that corpses, all right, corpses rapidly decay in hot climate, in the heat. So Palestine at this time of the year is hot. So promptly at 6 p.m. at night, would have been like last night, um, at the Sabbath's end, 
the, um, the women who observed the crucifixion and grief, they went to purchase more aromatic spices and anoint Jesus's body. So um, now the, 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 the reason why they do this, the purpose was not for preserving the body. You know, in our culture here, not in every culture, but here we, when someone dies, you know, we replace bodily fluids and everything with chemicals so that it preserves them, okay? Because we don't want it to stink. We don't want any of that happening. But that's not what they're doing. That's not why they're doing it, right? So they, um, they, are, they bought all these spices because their intention is to put them all over Jesus's body to keep him from stinking because it's hot in Palestine. Now, their action appears to be extravagant, an extravagant expenditure because uh, those, those things are expensive. And it's already been three days, so he's pretty ripe. Okay, so so he's now. I, I know I'm just I'm just giving you the 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 scene right here, right? So. It seems like if you're, if you're pretty smart and you start connecting the dots, it seems like what they're doing is a lost cause. It's really not gonna, you're gonna have to put a lot of stuff on there, right? Because it's not gonna, it's not gonna, it's not gonna smell good. Yeah, I don't care how much you dump on there, right? But here's the thing, love's devotion, which is often outrageous, turns a blind eye to the practical. This is why young men, when they ask young ladies to the prom, they go crazy and they do crazy stuff, things that are almost embarrassing just to ask them to go. This is why young men, when they propose to their wives, they create these extravagant scenarios just to ask. Not only do they just really want to make sure that it happens, but and they're just so in love. I mean, they do crazy stuff. They spend all kind of money that's not necessarily completely worth it. If she's, you know, I mean, by the time you get to that point, if she's going to say yes, you know, I, anyway, <laughs> I'm no different. I ridiculously, I spent a lot of money on proposing and Linda said yes. And later I was like, man. <laughs> I didn't. She's totally worth it. But, but, but listen, love and devotion and that kind of stuff, I mean, it makes us do extravagant things. I mean, we lose all perspective and we just, oh, it's crazy. It's crazy what we do. How about mothers? And these are moms. These are moms at the tomb. Moms love their kids. I don't care what happens. They love them. My mom loves me. My mom loves my kids. She loves us. Grandmothers, great grandmothers, she loves. Mitchell could call my mom as just like a four-year-old. I don't know how he got the phone, but if he got the phone, he would call her and ask her for things. And she would just mail it. She would give it. One time we caught Mitchell, and we didn't catch it till after it showed up in the mail. He sh it shows up, and it's a gift from grandma. It's brand new set of pajamas, those Spider-Man kind. Because he didn't like the ones that he was had. He just got on the phone. He said, Grandma, I need some new pajamas. And she says, well, bless your heart. And she just went out and bought, and she sent them. And then later, she's like, how come Mitchell doesn't have any pajamas? <laughs> he just didn't like the ones he has. So he worked it, right? 
I've said it often. I've said it to you guys. I know if I murdered somebody, and I haven't. I mean, it's been close, but I haven't. And I showed up down there at the county courthouse, and I was on trial, and my mom had any way to get in there. She would stand up and testify. He, I don't know what exactly happened, but he's a good boy. Maybe he did do it, but he's a good boy. There's some reason. She loves me. She stand up for me. I don't care what it is, right? Because love's devotion like that just overrides sometimes practical thinking. This is going on here. Now, I'm making a point of it because I think that's the kind of people we're supposed to be, and we're going to get to that. But here's the thing, all right? These women gave no thought to cost, and they gave no thought to effort. It didn't matter. They're doing it. It doesn't matter if it's a lost cause or not. They turned a blind eye to the practical. They were driven by the necessity to expend every last drop of their grief in a tomb where the one they loved most in the universe lay. So they didn't care. Can't have that guy stinking. So this is what we're doing. There's no argument. There's nothing. They, they do it. Okay, so by the time their purchases were completed that night, it's too late to make the trek outside the city walls to the tomb. So it's too late, it's too dark, it's too far, it's too all these things. On this Passover night, in every home, Jewish pilgrims, remember, Jewish pilgrims have come from everywhere to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. They're all gathered around the table before a lamb. They're all gathered around at this meal. It's all got these symbols. Hebrew voices are narrating the ancient story of Israel's miraculous deliverance from Egypt. That's what's happening on that night. Last night, it was really cool. So the baseball was over. I was just kind of walking through my message a little bit. And I, I like to have the television on in the background. We don't have cable, but I'm primetime TV. The best movie on the planet was on. It's called The Ten Commandments. And Charlton Heston, that movie's like 300 years old. But man, does he look good in that movie. He looks good as a young man, and then they make him into an old man, and he still looks good. I mean, he's like, if Moses looked like that, man. That was such a great movie. The whole movie is actually not really about the Ten Commandments. It's about the, it's about the deliverance of God's chosen people, God's people, the children of Israel. It's about delivering them from the bondage of slavery out of Egypt. God setting them free and using Moses. Remember, Moses is set my people free, or else I'll plague you to death. You know? And Pharaoh's not giving up. He doesn't want to listen. And we go through all these plague, all these things, and you remember the 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 that 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 plague that just ended it all. Remember? The angel of death is gonna kill every firstborn in every household. And the only way to be saved from that is take the blood of a lamb, put it over the doorpost, and the angel of death will pass over or pass by. This is what they're all celebrating in Jerusalem. And the meal and everything, it's all focused on that. They're all singing about that, and they're all celebrating that. These women included every Jewish home. It's all doing this kind of thing. Probably not exactly the way Charlton Hessen did it. 
But it's such a great recreation of the whole event, right? And so it's too late. All this is going on in these homes. These three women go to bed. They anticipating morning's first light, and they probably didn't sleep very good. So at morning's first opportunity, really early, just before sunrise, they set out for the tomb. And they're driven by the necessity of the hour and uh, a, a rapid pace, so they're booking it. But when they get to the tomb, it struck them that they had not fully, just before they get there, they, they, they were not fully prepared they weren't thinking it all the way through for the, because there's obstacles that they're going to face. So they start talking about it. The enormous stone sealing the tomb that Joseph and uh, Nicodemus rolled into place down the inclined trough, it's going to be way too heavy to roll it back up for these three ladies. In such an early hour, nobody's really up yet. Who are we going to get to do this? Nobody's going to be around doesn't even mean that if you could get somebody that they would help you. So no sooner had they finished sort of that thought, voicing their dilemma, than they look up and the stones rolled away. Now, I'm going to show you pictures. If you go to Israel, if you go to Jerusalem, you can see pictures of, of what a lot of people, um, a lot of historians say this was the tomb. Now, look, there's a lot of evidence that this tomb look like that, but it's, there's no real actual facts, truly, that this was actually the tomb. But just like I said, they get a few things, right? When you go in there, it's empty. The other thing that I really like about going here is they don't charge you any money. And see, here's another example of a tomb that, Jesus, uh, that looks like, you know, uh, the one maybe Jesus was buried in. Joseph of Arimathea, right? See that big old giant rock? And, there, and it's in a trough, and it would be easy to roll down because you just undo a few things that are holding it up there, wedging it up there. Once it rolled down, that incline, rolling it back up is a whole other story. Things weigh thousands of pounds. You're going to need an army of people, three ladies. I don't think it's going to happen, right? Now, they, you know, I don't know. Did it look exactly like that? Was it boulder-like? Was it, it doesn't matter, actually. It doesn't matter. Because what matters is when they went in there, he wasn't there. <laughs> okay, he's gone. And we don't know exactly. And it's probably a good thing because people would be trying to make money off of that. I mean, they charge you for everything in Jerusalem and Israel. It's kind of crazy. That's the one thing you can go see for free. I kind of like it. So, all right, seizing the opportunity, all right, they just go right on in. They don't ask any questions. They move inside to give the final touch to the one they deeply love. One last opportunity to say goodbye. One last opportunity to give thanks, to weep, to cry freely. No restraint. I think this is an important lesson right here. Um, I think we should all do these kinds of things. We don't often, our culture kind of is weird about it. A lot of times we, we, we try to avoid death. We don't like going to the hospital. We avoid pain, sorrow, all these kinds of things. And um, I don't know. I think uh, our culture doesn't really permit this kind of thing a lot of times, but I don't think it should be. I think we should be more like these women who are not deterred from these kinds of acts. Even uh, the Roman law prohibited grieving over executed criminals. So they could have gotten in big trouble. They could have gotten jailed or something like that. 
All of this could have happened, but they don't care. They're going to do it because of their love and devotion. You see that lesson right there? So stooping into the antechamber, so that's the little room or the, sort of like the hallway kind of area before you get into the burial chamber, it's just a passageway virtually. They probably had to stoop down into it. I mean, it's carved out a rock kind of thing, right? They make their way through the low passageway that leads to the burial chamber, expecting to find the body of Jesus resting on a stone slab carved out of the rock. That's the way it would have been. They weren't prepared for what they were about to see. To the right, key, remember I said to the right, make note of that, sits this young man. And he's dressed in a white robe. So Mark has carefully prepared us for this event. Seeing the young man with our mind, we are reminded of another young man clothed in linen cloth who witnessed the arrest of Jesus. So now bookend this. There's a young man when Jesus is taken away and arrested. And you remember, I, I told you, I think, um, I think, and it, there's no facts to it, but I think it was John Mark, the guy that's writing this. He's just a kid. So he's kind of grabbed by the Roman soldiers, but he, he, he's amazingly, just like a kid would, he escapes and he leaves, the, they got his cloak and he runs off naked into the night, right? Now that, that's just what I think, but they're both young men. They're both young men. The first young man, when you go back to Mark uh, chapter 14, the first young man, he represents Jesus's um, death, burial, and resurrection. The second young man, being young, he represents Jesus's ascension after the resurrection and being seated at the right hand of God. And both of them being young, both of them being young on purpose represent after the resurrection, everything is new, everything is fresh. Everything, you know, your skin pops back when you go like this when you're young. And it doesn't rattle around, right? It's all springy. It's all made new. It's all transformed. It's all, right? It's all really good. It's at the beginning. That's what the young guy represents. Yeah. And they're both anonymous. They're both anonymous. And no doubt, though, to the second one that they meet inside the tomb, to his identity, because Matthew calls him an angel, all right? Mark, does, Mark leaves that out, but Matthew calls him an angel. So there's all this symbolic stuff. Recognizing that they're stunned to the, to the point of emotional overload. You got to know that that's what's going on. They're emotionally kind of out of control. And they, he's going, hey, don't be alarmed. I don't know if that's exactly how he said it, but that's what the ladies are communicating you know, because maybe he was like, these women were out of control. So I said, hey, everybody settle down. You know, I don't know. I'm not picking on you ladies, but I just don't think it was like, don't be alarmed. <laughs> okay, now check this out. There's more, there's more. They're stunned. It's an emotional overload. He's trying to calm them down. There are no words capable of preparing the hearts of, for this event that just happened, let alone the effect it would have on their souls. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, he says, who was crucified. He's been raised. He's not here. Look, look, look. 
There's the place where they laid him. So the authenticity of Mark's report. Now, this is what is amazing. This is why you read your Bible and you study this. This is why we, we, we focus on this. It's heightened by the fact that it is succinct, that it's calm, factual, and understated. It's not embellished very much like I'm doing a little bit, right? It sounds almost as if he's given directions to somebody lost looking for directions. Have you ever got directions like that? Most guys would have to say no because we never ask. But if you do, you're like, hey, you know, where did, uh, where's whatever, you know? Where's so-and-so? Oh, they move, they move. Just, hey, if you go up here, take a left, go down a couple of three, you know, three blocks, take a left again, third house on the left. That's where they are. That's where he is. It's like he's given directions like that, right? I know the person you're looking for. They moved across town, that kind of thing. This is not the kind of report the church would invent for the account of the resurrection. I work with the church. That's not the way we would say it. We would, we'd make way more of a production out of it, Okay? And, and if they wanted to impress their world, so put it back in 2,000 years ago in context, in the first century, if they wanted to impress their world with the story and the account, they would have never identified the women as the first recipients of this earth-shattering news. It's nothing against you ladies. It's just a cultural thing. They wouldn't have utilized the women at that time. Both the substance and the style of the resurrection announcement would not have been an effective marketing strategy in that culture. It just wouldn't have. But it's so typical of God's way. And I want you to pay attention to how he utilized these women. It's profound. The angels know, or the angel knows why they've come and who they're looking for. It's Jesus the Nazarene. He's who was crucified. The perfect tense of the language suggests the permanence of his new name. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He's been raised. He's not here. Then he emphatically tells the women, look, or pay attention now, listen closely. There's a place where, uh, there's the place where they laid him. The tomb was empty. It only needed, it was only needed for three days, right? And two nights, about the, as much time as people spend in a bed and breakfast. But before the women can catch their breath, he commissions them with a task. He gives them something to do. And it's a really important task. They would be the link between the resurrected Jesus and the 12 apostles. And he gives them the task and they get after it and they just book it. They start running. That's so great. Now, if you gave that task to guys, they would be like, they got some, I got some questions, right? Now, wait a minute, let me see, let me, did I hear this right? I mean, it'd be all kinds of whatever, all right? And I'm just saying, is just pointing out the difference between men and women. They just, you know, when you ask the ladies to do something around Vail Christian Church, they just do it. And it takes a little bit of different kind of going about it when you ask the men of Vail Christian Church. Now, that doesn't mean that men are dumb or anything like that. I just want you to know there's a difference here and the ladies just, no question, just go. All right, just go. There are times when I get questioned a lot. But not here. This is like, okay. They, they don't seem to need to be convinced. All right, and they just book it. All right? 
So here's the, here's the thing. They should, in, 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 this, in this whole thing, you tell these guys, they should, uh, they should um, you, you gotta go to the return to the city and find the disciples. Even Peter, especially Peter, remember Peter, because Peter's probably a big giant mess right now. Go get that guy. Make sure you don't leave him out. He's betrayed Jesus. Tell him that the Lord is risen and he's on the move so they wouldn't find him in the temple or anywhere in the precincts of Jerusalem. They had to go north. They had to go into Galilee, just like he told them. Jesus laid all this out before he actually was crucified. Meet me in Galilee. Remember, the temple's no more. It's going away. It's going to be destroyed. This isn't the center of everything anymore. This whole system of sacrifices and everything, everything everybody used to know, that's done. That's over. Get out of here. Jerusalem's not the center point. It's not the centerpiece. And this temple built out of stones, God's not doing it that way anymore. This is where he's going to build his temple on human hearts. So get to Galilee. Remember Galilee? This is where the whole revolution started. This is, Jesus loves this place. This is where he called his disciples. This is where he loves to spend time. Just get to Galilee. That's where he's headed, so meet him there. It's not about Jerusalem anymore. It's not about the temple. It's not about all that old stuff. Something different going on. So the appearance of the angel coupled with the sight of the empty tomb and the announcement of the resurrection, it's too much for these women. They're gripped by a fear so strong it muted them in awesome silence. That's why I named it this. They, they can't even, they're stupefied. They can't speak. And this wasn't the first time the appearance of God and the announcement of God's rule suffocated the hearers in silence. I mean, just look throughout the scriptures often when people are witness to something like this. They can't even hardly talk. But even though it choked out their words, it didn't impede their feet. Did you catch that? They just, they just went. Couldn't talk, but they, 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 they didn't stop them. They immediately delivered their kingdom orders, their, their, their mandate, their message, their purpose from their commander, they did it at full speed like messengers running home from battle. I can't help but see Isaiah's words finding their true resting place. When you go back to Isaiah, sorry, <laughs> 52, verse 7, look at this. Hundreds of years before Jesus is even born, God says this, look at this, how delightful it is to see approaching over the mountains the feet of a messenger who announces peace. A messenger who brings good news, who announces deliverance, who says to Zion, your God reigns. He's alive. He's alive. This is good news. This changes everything. That's these ladies. That's their message. Oh, now those verses make sense. So how does it end? How does it end? I mean, this is, this is an exciting message. How does it end? This is where the gospel of Mark actually ends at the end of verse eight. I don't know if you catch that yet. With the women gripped in silent fear, bringing the report of good news to the apostles. But is it the end? Is it really the end? Notice that the rest of the text, verses nine through 20, just take a look. It has brackets around it. And then another set of brackets around those brackets. Did you catch that after verse 20? See, the reason for this is that the early church, it's just like us, felt uncomfortable with such an abrupt ending to Mark's gospel. Yeah, no, it's the truth. 
The other gospels <coughs> conclude with at least one more resurrection appearance to the 12, a mention of Christ's ascension to his father, climaxed by the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But Mark's last words leave us with the women speechless in fear, silent fear, awesome silence. That's where it ends. Now, could it be that Peter, Peter's in prison right now at this time. He's in prison. So Mark's unable to complete his text and the story. The last pages, he, he, he can't complete it. Could that be the answer? Could it be that Mark's just the bumble fingers and he accidentally lost it <laughs> before the copyist could make copies and stuff, right? Or did Mark truly mean to end his gospel right here? I mean, we, we actually don't know. There's evidences of all kinds of things, but when you look at the larger literary context of Jesus's passion, so in other words, if you look at chapter 14 through chapter 16, look at this. It, doesn't, it, it, it does round off and uh, really nice. I think it really comes together. It begins in chapter 14. It begins with a woman who out of unbelievable, extravagant devotion and love breaks a vial of perfume on Jesus's head, anoints him for burial. She does this at the cost of a year's wages. She pours it all over him before all this happens. And then look how it ends. It ends with women buying extravagant spices to anoint Jesus's body at his burial site. I don't know. I feel like this is the way it's supposed to be. It's bookended by unbelievable love and devotion from these ladies. Now look, in any event, because the early church was uncomfortable with such an abrupt ending, they added verses 9 through 20, sometime between the late first century to the middle of the second century. It's clear that Mark didn't author these verses. It's really clear. For one thing, they're missing in all kinds of early manuscripts. It's missing everywhere. Secondly, the vocabulary and the style is really different from Mark. Over one third of the words are not Mark's Markan words. He doesn't even use words like that. He doesn't talk like that or write like that. Okay, that's just fact. And finally, these verses break the continuity of the narrative, a shorter ending, which also, you know, I mean, Mark's all about like, and then that, that's it. And then he moves on to the next thing. I mean, it's so like the way he writes at the end of, just ending it at verse eight. I think it's really, uh, really clear. So for our purposes, I, I just wanna conclude right here at this point where Mark's pen stops. I'm gonna leave the longer ending for the scholars to speculate and encourage you to study all the other gospels, the Ascension, the Great Commission. Do all that, you should. And I'm not, even, I'm not saying you shouldn't read these verses that are not truth. Read them, they're good, they're fine. But I think Mark intends to end right here. That's, that's the way I wanna conclude it today. Whether the text is complete or broken off, what I think, what I find here is more than adequate to understand the resurrection. It's more than adequate to co communicate the resurrection and what Mark wanted to communicate. 
For whatever reason, it might have been cut short. If you let it stand as we've received it, it's very incompleteness in a way, has a way of pulling me into the drama and the good news these women are communicating. I love it. That's where I want to leave it, right in their shoes, because the lessons are thick in their shoes. When you think about them, when you, you, I think you, dis, you discover in the journey of how to enter into the resurrection and how it applies to you. What's it got to do with you and me? What does this have to do with me at all? And my job and my hurts and my sorrow and my grief and my pain and my struggle and my dreams, my friends and my family, my relationships. What's it got to do with me? I mean, I'm in high school and I'm just, you know, I just want to get out and go to, you know, get a car, get a driver's license. I just want to pass my driver test. I'm not saying you're not gonna. But those kind of things are on your mind, right? What's the resurrection got to do with any of that? Check it out. Look at this. I think it involves just three things. I held up two fingers, but I meant three. (laughs) Three things. Check it out. Our feet, our speech, and our eyes. Can you already see how this is going to come together? Our feet, our speech, and our eyes. Let's look at the way of the resurrection. First, where does, where does resurrection life begin? Let's, where does it really begin? For these women, it began as they were being pulled into the center of a very lonely, sorrowful place. Have you ever been lonely? Have you ever been hurt? Have you ever just felt like, ah, oh, having to grieve through anything? Not just the death or uh, missing someone, it's just something, Right? It's just a hurtful time. It's a, a time that gets you really depressed where you're just trying to find your way and your place and your, just, your purpose. And, and, and it just, it could be attached to a thousand things. That's where these ladies are. And I think that's where the resurrection begins. They followed that inner compulsion and boldly moved into this grief, you know, this cold and dark place. They didn't want to go, but they had to go because of love and devotion. It drew them to this place. That's what I think God wants to do with all that stuff. He wants to, he utilizes that all the time. He wants to utilize that in your life to draw you to this place where he can transform you and change you and use you and, and complete you and give purpose. Look, Following that compulsion, their feet took them to the tomb of Jesus. Their feet did this. They went obediently to love and to mourn. And I would urge you not to run from sorrow, not to avoid it, not to avoid pain and hurt and struggle and difficulty and adversity. It's all there by design, I believe. I don't think God's out to torture us, but I think he wants to use all that stuff. That's what gets us to depend on him. Plunge yourself into the center of the world's sorrows, by the way. Is the world hurting, hurting all around us? Of course it is. All kinds of people have difficulties. They're living in the midst of the difficulty. And so recycle your pain and your sorrow and your hurt because you could really encourage someone because you can identify because you're just not gonna be sympathetic. You can be empathetic. 
It's a part of your story and your journey. This is what happens. Because once you're there, you're prepared to touch the edge of so much purpose in life. I think that's why the resur- how the resurrection applies. How about second? These women were not distracted with the obstacles in their path. Think this through. On the way to the tomb, they spoke about that insurmountable stone set permanently in place and impossible to move. Their speech noted it, but it did not impede their feet again. They just moved. Now, I like this. They kept pressing on, not knowing how it would all work out. They had no plan, no human resources available. You see, the resurrection, by the way, doesn't need any of that stuff. God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our weak human props and all of our stuff, our five-year plans and strategies, our 10-year plan. He doesn't need any of that. In fact, he usually works before we even arrive. The obstacle that once seemed insurmountable, when they got there, it was simply rolled away. What are the obstacles in your life that you're all hung up on? What are you just saying? This, there's no way. I can't believe this. this. It's turned out like this. I mean, you can't see it. It's just a big you know, thing out there that you're like, it can't be done. I, I love it when somebody tells me it can't be done. That is the most motivating thing in my life when you say it can't be done. All I'm gonna do is figure out how it can be done. I, I, I think that's the way actually life should be lived. Because God doesn't need our stuff. You see, what is distracting you? What are the obstacles that seem insurmountable? See, the resurrection, the resurrection will roll those things away if you will not get hung up and get so focused on that stuff. You see what happened? They got there and it's gone. (laughs) They don't even talk about it. They're like, hey, that was great. That worked out. They just go right in there. It's so awesome. Hey, how about this? The third thing is they, they, they did not try to predict what was going to happen. I love that. When the women arrived, their senses were stunned by what they saw. <laughs> God had already acted in advance of their arrival. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. And at the center is this angel and, and, and the vision of the risen Christ seated at the right hand of God. And he's so young. When you taste the resurrection, the whole world is new. I know, when you look out there, it's like, man, everything is a mess. There's a lot of problems. Have you been in my neighborhood? Everybody's robbing everybody. (laughs) I don't like to read the Rita Ranch community forum thing sometimes. Do you read that? I'm like, oh, everybody's barking about everything. Sometimes it's good, but you know. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, just, oh, because, you know, that's the lens we look through all the time and we love to vent it online. Anyway, I digress because here the new temple is not going to be constructed of stone on top of the old, but on human hearts by the Messianic Jewish rabbi. He said, quit getting all hung up about that thing because that's not what it's all about anymore. Who cares what's built on that? It don't matter. God wants to move it. Trust me, he's going to. And he will, by the way, when he returns. (laughs) It's going to be about him, not anything else. Right? There's a new temple that fills all of creation. That's you and I. We're the vessels of the new temple. 
So the first connection will be in Galilee, not Jerusalem. It's a brand new beginning. And then finally, their responses were immediate and, uh, uh, immediate and obedient fear. Now, think about that. We, we could use a good dose of that. Immediate and obedient fear. That's it. They couldn't speak yet, but they could run. <laughs> they couldn't speak, but they could run. Something new's in place, something really big, something that unites creation, something that enlarges the horizons, the links, that links angels, Christ, women, men into something so huge, it's all-encompassing. It's a message that transforms. What a privilege to be a part of it. Has the resurrection touched you like that? Because that's why we make a big deal out of this Sunday. Because it transforms everything. It changes everything. Everything is built on this. It's new. It's fresh. And we got a mission and a mandate and purpose now. And there's a way that we are to engage. I'm amazed to think how the resurrection has touched me and my home and every good thing in my life, my wife, my children, my home, my friends, my occupation, my education, my passions, and and lots of it, most of it has come unplanned as a surprising gift. And the best gifts have been unexpected treasures that have happened in deep times of hurt and sorrow and difficulty and adversity. All those experiences. When you wake up in the morning, tomorrow morning when you wake up, expect that the Lord is on the move ahead of you. That's what he's doing. That's what he always does. You only have to arrive. You only have to listen. You only have to observe in order to be a part of it. What we celebrate today, don't forget, what we celebrate today is victory of, uh, is the victory of God through Jesus over death, over sin, over hell. The resurrection of Jesus keeps, uh, helps us realign and focus on hope, not cross your finger hope. That's what the world does. They hope stuff's going to turn out. The hope we speak of of the Bible is truth. You can replace the word hope everywhere with the word truth. We have a future. Death doesn't have the final word. It's power over us. It's been broken. It's debt's been paid in full. Our life has a grand purpose. It means so much more than eating and drinking and celebrating. And I hope you do it today. I hope you enjoy your kids. I hope you hunt for eggs. I hope you take a bite out of the ears of one of those hollow chocolate bunnies. Because it's so good. I hope you do. But it's bigger than all of that. It's so much bigger than all of that. Without the hope of resurrection and eternity spent with the Lord, Christianity makes no sense in all of this. You see? It doesn't mean anything. It's useless. Did all this for nothing. But we didn't. Listen to what Ben Patterson has to say about this. I love this guy. Such a great quote. Check it out. You can even take a picture of it if you want. Either this life we live is an absurdity of incomprehensible proportions or it is in the care of a loving God who pledged himself to us in the resurrection of Jesus and promises us <laughs> the hope of heaven, the truth of heaven, right? I believe this hope. I, I believe this truth is the deepest longing of every human heart. It is the desire for our true home, the home that cannot fade, the city with 
foundations whose architect and builder is God. Wow. Wow. Let me give you one more. He's too good. Let me give you one more. If we know why we are alive, and I hope you know after today, and where we're headed, we can cope with whatever comes along. I mean, anything, right? Pain, loss, disappointment, and any number of other joy busters take on a a different shape when seen from the perspective of the end of the journey. Though the joys of heaven are inexpressible and glorious, they may, they may fill our hearts and set our feet moving, our feet moving to the tunes of the future even now. So all that stuff that's going on in your life, God wants to utilize it. He wants to utilize it and the resurrection is how he wants to use it. Bow your head with me and we'll conclude. Lord God, our heads are bowed before you. This is great news. We all came in here with different things going on. Thank you for showing us, teaching us how everything in our life can have this purpose that all leads to eternity with you. We know we needed your son Jesus because we're sinful and we need a savior because we've all fallen short. We're all sinful. And sin can't be in your presence. We know that's why you provided us, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice to take care of it all and defeat sin, defeat death and hell. Because that's where we'd be headed. So now, we pray that we would embrace with believing faith the resurrection of your son, Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, that it was all done on our behalf. We pray that we would be like these women, full of love and devotion, extravagant love and devotion. That's who we're supposed to be. Or sometimes when we're, in, when we're doubting things, God, use our feet. Use our feet so that we just move forward anyway and engage. Use the stuff all around us, the hard times, the adversity, the trial, the sorrow. Use it, Lord. We will do our best to submit and embrace it. We know that's a part of what you want to do. Thank you for our mission that gives us purpose. Now help us to bring it and give it to other people. The world out there is hurting. Help us to take this good news to so many people that, that really need it. We want to be that kind of person, Lord. The Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. Have a great day. I hope I get to see you next week. <laughs>